A Weekend with Jason Dacey Replay from Money FM 89.3. Thank you for staying with us here on Money FM 89.3. I'm with David Kuo from The Motley Fool, Singapore, who provides uh, news analysis regularly here on Money FM. And uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks, David, we've really seen the continuing rise of nationalism across the world. Of course, uh, Narendra Modi was sworn in as uh, India prime minister after successfully winning a, a second term. We saw the European elections as well. A couple of weeks before that, we saw a conservative government uh, re-elected unexpectedly in Australia. What would you say about uh, the political climate uh, globally at the moment? You know, Jason, we have to be very careful to differentiate between being patriotic and being nationalistic, right? Uh, a lot of people think they're the same thing. I can be uh, patriotic about a country, but that doesn't mean I need to be nationalistic. Patriotic just simply means I'm proud of my country. Mm. So a lot of Singaporeans are very proud of Singapore. But to be nationalistic means that you think that your country is better than everybody else's. And that is very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when you start going down that road where you say that uh, America is better than China, that becomes very dangerous, right? It's all very very well being uh, patriotic about America, standing up when there's a national anthem and saluting the flag. That is fine. But when you start creeping into that area where you say that China is dangerous, China is going to threaten us, then that becomes nationalistic and that becomes very, very dangerous. And this is what is happening in many places around the world now. I don't think so much in India because I don't think India says that everybody else is dangerous, but Indians are very patriotic. Yeah. There's a big difference, Jason. But it is a pro-Hindu party, isn't it? Um, you know, Narendra Modi's mm-hmm. party. And I guess some of the lesser or minority yeah. religions and, and, and races perhaps feel a bit threatened there because of uh, this patriotism that we see under Modi and the the pro-Hindu stance? And I think that is why, you know, whoever is chosen as leader of the country needs to ensure that they are inclusive and that they include other people. The moment you start separating those people and start saying that, we are better than you, then Mm. that is when it becomes very dangerous. And I think this is what is happening in the UK. And I think this is what the European elections were telling us about certain things. Maybe, you know, uh, the European electorate, many of the people who were voting in the last European elections are saying that we don't want to be nationalistic. By all means, you know, a Belgian can be proud of Belgium, a French can be be proud of France, and a German can be proud of Germany. I, I know you do a lot of sports. I mean, it's okay to actually sort of say that... I am supporting England Mm. or I'm supporting France in a football game. But once it's over, then, of course, you know, you have to sort of compliment the other side if they win. It's very hard to do, but I think, you know, we should try and sort of do that. You you don't see as much of that sort of uh, nationalism in many other sports. For instance, in rugby... What is really interesting is that a Welsh fan can stand next to an England fan and enjoy the game. But how come it doesn't work in football where they have to separate them? (laughs) And in places like Germany, they have to bring out the Alsatians. They have to bring out the machine guns in order to try and separate Mm. people. What what went wrong there? I mean, you're a big cricketing fan, I know, Mm. yes? And cricket fans, I mean, when the West West Indies (laughs) is playing England, they're standing shoulder to shoulder and they're just enjoying the game. Yeah, you're, you're right, actually. It is puzzling, but let's have a look at what's happened, you know, in the European elections. We saw the Brexit party, the clear winner, but the Liberal Democrats... and the Was Green- it that clear? Yeah, well, really? that's according to 
the BBC. I mean, Conservatives coming in in fifth place with less than 10% of the vote. This is obviously a protest vote, isn't okay, it? Okay, but you add up all those people that didn't vote for the Brexit party, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And you will find that they are in the majority. Mm. So, yes, I mean, by all means, I mean, the Brexit party won a tremendous number of seats, but they didn't won the, did, they didn't win the majority of the votes. They didn't win over 50% of the votes, which tells me that there are over 50% of the people in the UK who don't support the Brexit party. And I think you can go across the whole of Europe and say that there is a pushback against nationalism now. Mm, okay. We're speaking about the rise of nationalism across the world with David Quo from the Motley Fool Singapore. Why do you think it, it happened? Uh, why do we see the nationalism? Because not so long ago, we were a kind of a globalization mm. uh, environment where everything is connected and, you know, we accept that we're doing business with anybody all over the world and yeah. we're all having to work together. Mm -hmm. Why did that change? Were people just fed up with the liberal elite, do you think? I don't think it is as simple as that, Jason. I, I think that, you know, what really happened was that globalization, as far as I'm concerned, is a good thing. But I think what, what happened with a certain amount of globalization was that some of the people within a country became marginalized and they didn't take, well, they didn't participate in the general well-being of uh, the rising living standards. I mean, put yourself in the position of a cab driver in London, for instance, right? And uh, you, you are a true Brit and you are driving a cab in London. And then you suddenly see people from Eastern Europe coming into the UK because driving a cab in the UK can be quite lucrative. So these Europeans come in, they are driving private hire cars, a bit like your Ubers and your uh, Grabs here mm. in Singapore. And they are willing to work for less because even working for less in the UK is still better than what they were getting when they were in Eastern Europe. Right. So they're slowly eroding your standard of living. And so when you see your standard of living being lowered, even though the rest of the general population is finding a benefit from that because their traveling costs are coming down. Yes. You are going to start pointing a finger and say, why are you letting those Eastern Europeans into this country? And it's not just taxi drivers. It's Eastern European builders. I mean, Polish uh, uh, carpenters and builders and all that. Absolutely. Mm. Yes. I mean, if it wasn't for the, the Polish builders and maybe the people from Albania, the mm. people from uh, from Greece coming into the UK, uh, building costs would be exceedingly high. I mean, I have a property in the UK and I have three very good builders that come in to do work for me once in a while. They're not British though, are they? They're not British. No, <laughs> no. One is Albanian. I think one is um, Greek. And I think the third one, I can't remember, I think he is Polish, mm, yeah. So, okay. I mean, they come in, and the Polish plumbers. I mean, they've become a kind of a, a cliche in the UK. But the Polish <laughs> it used to be the Irish uh, builders, didn't it? Well, yes, <laughs> um, but, but the Polish plumber will come in, do the job any time of day for you, even at the weekends, and do it for less than a British plumber. So, of course, the British plumber will complain. And who do you blame? Well, you sort of blame the ruling party, the ruling government, and say, you allowed all these people in. And so when you have enough of these people, then you get dissent. Well, let's now shine the spotlight on my country of Australia as we talk about nationalism and conservative politics uh, around the world with uh, the coalition mm -hmm. holding on to power there unexpectedly uh, last month with uh, Scott Morrison, who actually just come into power through a leadership spill uh, in August. And there he is uh, getting an increased majority, uh, which was most unexpected because of uh, Labor leader Bill Shorten's tax unfriendly policies, I guess. But in Australia, there is uh, that kind of 
uh, people are worried about the boat people coming in. Mm -hmm. they're, they're worried about too many immigrants. So we're seeing that even in Australia, aren't we? Yeah, well, I mean, Scott Morrison, uh, nobody expected him to make that kind of comeback. I mean, it was the greatest comeback since Lazarus riding from the dead, yeah? <laughs> well, uh, Donald Trump was one person who called him and said this is as good as 2016, right? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. But I, I think the problem that ruling parties, ruling governments have to make is how much immigration do we allow into a country? We know that you, you have to allow people into a country in order to generate that workforce that will be able to sustain the economy and then allow the economy to grow so that those people who are aging no longer have to work anymore. But it's a very difficult balancing act for any government to try and negotiate because if you allow too many people into the country then you will have a problem because you will find that uh, your support and also your indigenous population starts to become eroded. Mm. But at the same time, you know you need to bring in these people. I mean, a really good example is Japan. Japan's population is aging. I came across one statistic recently about Japan, and that is that Japan sells more adult diapers than they do Babies' no, diapers. You're kidding. That is an incredible stat. It is, isn't it? Which means that the population is aging mm. so much now that. And they're anti immigration, right? And they, well, they're changing mm. because they know mm. they need to change, Jason. Yeah, yeah. But when you see a stat like that, you just think, wow, you know, the population is aging so fast and you haven't got enough young people coming on board in order to grow that economy. What do you do? And so. Well, one way is to actually allow more immigrants into the country. But for a long time, Japan was very resistant to bring in immigrants from outside. But I think they have to change, Jason. Yeah, I think uh, that's definitely uh, an incredible stat about the adult diapers being better sellers than, than the kids' diapers. <laughs> <laughs> now, in, in Singapore, in a way, you know, we're, we're lucky that there is a, a tolerance and we have a harmonious society and all that. But even in my uh, interactions with Singaporeans, yeah. David, I'm noticing a lot of people with support for Donald Trump and, yeah. and his policies, the strong arm policies. And I was in the company of a very well-educated Singaporean last week. And they were saying that, look, the media is against Donald Trump. And they're saying, you know, he's a great guy, but they're just distorting everything he says. And then he said, oh, Alex Jones is someone I really like. Uh, and he's the guy mm. that comes up with all these conspiracy theories about, you know, school shootings being staged by actors and all that sort, that sort of stuff. Even in, in Southeast Asia, we're seeing quite a lot of support, uh, even if it's not uh, you know, a great uh, direct impact uh, or implication. But there are fans of Donald Trump and right-wing conservatives in Singapore even. Yeah. Playing the nationalistic card is very simple to do. Because, I mean, all you have to do is to whip up some kind of frenzy and point your finger at people who are not like you, people who are different, and say that, they are dangerous. They are taking our livelihood away from us. And it is a very easy thing to do. And of course, you know, you will have a small number of people who will support that. But I think when people become educated, they can analyze the data very carefully and they can say, no, it's not entirely true. But it depends how noisy, you know, the vociferous mi minority mm. becomes. Mm -hmm. And if they are loud enough, then, of course, you know, they can drown out well any kind of logical arguments that you might have. I stopped listening to Donald Trump, you know, as soon as he said that his inauguration crowd was bigger than Barack Obama's. Mm -hmm. And no nobody's bending the truth there, you know, when they say that it just isn't true. Yeah. You just look at the pictures. Statistically, yeah, the numbers aren't there. But, you know, you give credit to Donald Trump for the, the healthy U.S. economy and some of the reforms that he's made. But 
Seriously? Well, you Ser- I, seriously, Jason? I think, I think some people do. Yeah, some people do. You got you've... What, cutting taxes. I mean, cutting taxes that didn't need to be cut in the first place. <laughs> I mean, the economy was doing all right. And I think all that happened with the tax cuts, Jason, was that it pumped money into the economy. Mm-hmm. People didn't know what to do with that money. So where do they put it, Jason? They put it into the stock market. So the stock market is at all-time highs. Right. They put it into property. They put it into bonds so that, you know, interest rates are, are, are lower now. I don't think that's such a great thing. Right, right. Well, it can be argued that. But I think the one thing that I would say, the criticism of a free media, a free mm-hmm. press that, that he has done uh, – and how much does this connect it, do you think, to nationalism and the, the wave of nationalism to try and control the media? It is important. Well, I, I think it is important to have a balanced media. And I think the media needs to be fair. And it is all very easy to criticize journalists sometimes when they disagree with what you say. And to just simply pick on certain elements of the media. I mean, you you remember when uh, Jim Acosta from uh, CNN, uh, CNN yeah. yeah, was banned from the White House yeah. for asking questions mm-hmm. because those questions that he was asking were difficult for Donald Trump to answer. And the next thing we knew, Sarah Sanders came out and said, uh, "We're revoking your pass to uh, to the White House. Yeah. You will no longer be allowed in." I mean. That is not one way to silence critics. I mean, you silence critics by providing a coherent argument to why you think you are right. But just to simply say that you are uh, you, you are wrong to ask the question is not the right way to go about things. Right. So you'd say that uh, this is part of nationalism, this, this kind of suppressing of the press. It's connected to it. Yes, I think it is. Mm. Yeah. And I think it is a very dangerous thing to do. I think, you know, people should be allowed to discuss things. Obviously, I mean, people can't just sort of make outrageous and ludicrous statements, you know, about a government. I mean, that has to be clamped down on. Mm. So it's a two-way thing. The fake news thing, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it is a two-way thing. So, I mean, if somebody were to sort of promulgate fake news, I mean, they need to be sort of taken down and say, where did you get those facts from? Yeah. You, yeah. Can't, you can't just dream up facts and just simply say that, oh, you know, it's a bit like, you know, Donald Trump saying that those immigrants that are coming in are murderers and rapists. Mm-hmm. I mean, where do those facts come yeah. from? I mean, if you can't back up what you say with facts, then, of course, you know, you are as bad as those people who criticize you. Very true. Finally, David, what's the way forward? Do you see this continuing, the, the wave of nationalism and, and countries looking more inward rather than outward when it comes to their political systems? No, I believe in human nature. You know, I believe in people using their logical arguments, people thinking through a problem and sort of coming up with the right solution. I don't think a country should just simply open its borders and allow immigrants to come in willy-nilly because I think, you know, that is also quite dangerous. It has to be controlled in some way. But just to simply sort of shut your borders at the same time and say, I'm not allowing anybody in is not the right answer either. All right. David Quo is going to be a fascinating uh, few years ahead, I think, in, on the world stage. We really appreciate uh, I'm glad your I'm comments. in Singapore, yes. <laughs> yeah, we're all grateful <laughs> to be here. Thank you very much to David.